All right, how many is ready for the word? All right. Ready for the word. Colossians 1, 29, Corinthians 15, 9, and 10. I do, I really want to expand on this subject the best I can. I don't want to get technical, if you allow me to say it that way. I don't want to get too technical. I, I do want to be biblical very much. I don't want to just be cerebral here. But there are two passages that I've, I feel somewhat challenged uh, to bring to the church today and try in the way of explanation maybe to bring some understanding that will have functional value in your life. How many know the word of God applies to us? It's not just way up here, just but it's concepts that if you'll incorporate them into your life, they will help you. This concept is one of the most confused concepts in Christianity today. It's a subject that I've just fallen in love with because you can't, as you walk through the New Testament, everywhere you go, you can't hardly find a, a, a page or a passage or a book of the New Testament that is not impregnated with this concept and this thought and this idea. And what is sad to me is much of Christianity has confused it and I think is missing out on the benefits of what God has given to us if we grasp it in balance and in truth. Are you catching what I'm, I'm not there yet, but the subject, I'm, I'm, this, this word that I'm gonna use is the word grace. It's the word grace. Some people are fearful of that word. Some people use and abuse that word, but I want you to know that that is a Bible word and it is a powerful word. And more important than that, it is a concept that if you can learn the delicate dance of, of operating and cooperating with grace, your life will never be the same. And that's what I'm going to try to expand on with God's help here today. So this, this passage, Colossians 129, somebody asked me years ago, like, what's your favorite scripture or give me a favorite scripture that we can put on a, they actually got a piece of metal and they had it carved out. I got it sitting in my office now. This was the scripture I gave them because it's very personally meaningful to me. And I believe there's, there's a key in it. All right. So here we go. Colossians 129. The Bible says, Paul said, whereunto I also labor. Can you say together with me, he worked. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, living for God is work. And if you don't have that concept, you are going to fail miserably in your walk with God. You're going to fail. You're not going to make it living for God. And this is tying into the subject of grace. If you think that God's doing all the work in your life, you are sadly mistaken. And more importantly, it's going to hurt you if you genuinely believe that God's doing all the work in your life. Listen, God ain't brushing your teeth. God ain't mowing your lawn. God ain't showing up for your 40-hour work week. God's not doing that for you. There are some things that he wants you to do. But can I tell you, there are some things that only God can do. And if you get into his business and you try to do God's business, you're going to be frustrated out of your mind trying to do God's job. Some things that are like God's like, hey, that's not your business. You stay out of that. That's my business. And I thank God he'll take care of us. But functionally, we've got to understand what's God's job. And I've got to understand what's my job. This scripture illustrates that. Notice, Paul said, whereunto I also labor. He said, I work. Notice what he said, comma, striving according. Striving. That's human will. You with me? Human will. That's human activity. Striving according to what? His working. 
that worketh in me mightily. That scripture, if you get it right there, there is revelation in there, and it's like a flywheel. It's like God gives grace, you respond to grace, you do your part, God gives more grace, more power, you do your part, God gives more power, you put your will into it, God gives you more power, you obey scripture, you do what God wants you to do, he gives you more grace, and before you know it, you got this, this continuum of anointing and God's help and power in your life that is, is absolutely powerful. That scripture perfectly illustrates that. Corinthians 15, verse number 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle. I'm a dirt bag. I'm a sin- I was a sinner. My life was screwed up. Nobody here has got a right to pull out their trophy case and tell us how great you are and were because you weren't and aren't. Outside of Jesus, let's be real, let's be humble here. Let's, he said, I'm not, because I persecuted the church of God. My life was screwed up, and I was terrible. I was a terrible person. You know, so many people, the reason why, I'm going to let you sit down in just a minute, but the reason why a lot of people don't get saved is they don't realize they're lost. Until you realize you're lost, you can't get saved. So a lot of people are like, I'm a good person. No, you're not. A lot of sinners are saying, I'm a good person. No, you're not. Somebody's got to say, no, you're a sinner. you got problems in your life. And if you don't recognize the fact you're a sinner, you can't get saved. If you're already saved, you're like, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're lost. Without God, you're going to go to hell. I know we don't say it like that, but I got the microphone this morning. Right? No, you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. You're on your way to hell. You're going to go into a smoking, fiery eternity, flaming inferno without God for eternity. You are going to go to hell because you're bad and you're a sinner. But the good news is Christ died for you and loves you. And if you'll admit it, if you'll recognize that you're a sinner, you'll repent of your sins, you'll turn from your sins, you'll turn to God with desperation in your life, you'll bow a knee, you'll submit to the scripture and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Don't argue with me about that point. That's the Bible. And you'll be baptized and do what God told you to do and get baptized in the name of Jesus. It wasn't the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You'll do it God's way then God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. He'll give you the Holy Ghost. He'll fill you with his nature. He'll give you his spirit. It's a miracle. You'll speak in tongues. And God will will grow something inside of you that did not exist prior to that moment in time. God will give you desire. He'll give you strength. He'll give you grace. He'll give you desire. He'll make you want to be holy. He'll put things in your heart that weren't there before. And if you learn how to cooperate with that, all of a sudden, living for God becomes this delicate dance. He works in my life. I respond to him. I reach out to him. Listen, you can't sit there like a bump on a log and think that I'm saved. I don't do jack. I don't do diddly jack. And every, my life is, no, I've got to learn as he reaches out to me, I reach up to him. His part, my part. 
Jesus, bless the word to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. All right, so um, I'm gonna, we're going to walk a little circuitous journey getting, I think, where we need to go. And I want to start on the right foot. Matthew 14. We need to learn this, okay? So I, I want to illustrate this the best that I know how from the Scripture. This, this, this faith walk. What is, what is this faith walk? Okay. So Matthew 14, this is, a, this is a cool story. It's a really cool story. You're going to like the story. Jesus straightway constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Jesus told them to get into a ship, right? Jesus gave them a divine directive. He said, I'm going to get into that ship. I want you to get into that ship, and you're going to go over to the other side. Okay? Say, Jesus told them to do that. Okay? Now watch. This is where it gets a little messy, because we don't realize that sometimes God, to commandeer growth and progress in our lives, is going to send us direction that, that we think all the time when we live for God that everything about God is always going to lead us onto a primrose path to a comfortable eternity. It's like cruise control. Jesus told me to get into a ship. I bet goody, 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 goody things are going to happen now, right? Blessings are coming. Good things are coming. Wonderful things are coming. He told me to get into a ship. I can't wait to see what he has in store for me. Watch. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Wait a second. I thought you told me that Jesus sent, put them into the ship. If I read my Bible correctly, he did tell, he constrained them, it says. He, can, he said, get into that ship, boys. You get into that ship. Little did they know that when they got on the ship, maybe their expectations were, were glossy and colorful and vibrant and beautiful and wonderful, not knowing that the ship they were getting into was fixing to go into a storm. I got a boat. I got a cool boat. I got a really cool boat. I'm a duck hunter in case you didn't know. I like to hunt ducks. If you're going to hunt ducks, you want to get in a flat bottom boat. It's a John boat. So I got a John boat. John boats are great in marshes and swamps. John boats are not good, Corey, on large bodies of water. <laughs> I've been on Lake Winnebagosh in that John boat. I'm going to tell you right now, I scream like a sissy girl. Because <laughs> you, get, you, you get that boat on a big lake. Y'all can sound all tough and bad, and you can think you're tough and bad, but you get in the middle of that. And that boat, it's flat bottom, so what it does, it does not, doesn't have a V. It's got a moderate V, but, but it doesn't cut through those waves. It just slams the waves. And water's coming over. And it's like people die on Lake Winnebagosh. Do you know that? They do. You can die on Winnie. People die on Winnie. They get stuck in the middle of that lake and a storm comes rolling again and, uh, across that shallow lake and the waves build up and you can go down in the middle of a lake like that. And here are the disciples like, Jesus told us to get in this boat right here. Thanks a lot, Jesus. 
See, that's the, the, the dirty underside of the story that people don't tell you about living for God. Because sometimes you're going to live for God and God's going to commandeer a boat for you that's going to put you into a storm that's not of your own making. You didn't choose it. You didn't ask for it. And you're like, well, I thought he was a good God. Can I tell you, he's a good God. Even when he puts you in the ship, that's going to put you in the middle of the storm. Because in the middle of the storm, Jesus can show himself to you in ways that he can't show you on the mountaintop when everything is copacetic, A-OK, wonderful. You'll see things in the storm that you won't see on the mountain, and Jesus knows that. But in the middle of that, now, so here, here they are in the middle of the sea, and it's, to, it's tossed with waves. The whistling of the wind can be and the waves are coming up and, they're, and the water's coming over the sides and they're, they're fishermen, but they're like, man, this is bad. It's a bad storm. And they're, you know, they're looking out there and they're soaking wet. They got their rain gear on. They're in the middle of a storm and all of a sudden, and they look and they're like, what in the world? I think that's Jesus. And they look out across the storm <laughs> and the spiritual ones in the group, because there's always going to be them. No, it's a spirit. <laughs> That's what it is. Because people don't walk on water. But oh, God walks on water. And white cap waves into a cobblestone street. And he's just, how's it going, guys? <laughs> How y'all doing? <laughs> how's your storm? And he's just, the Bible says he's fixing to walk right by them. But wa watch what happens. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. That was freakier to them. Seeing this something out there walking was freakier than the storm. And straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Cool out, guys. No problem. Waves ain't nothing to me. He's just going for a little stroll across the lake. <laughs> like as if nothing, nothing's different. This is, this is what I really like, though. You got this guy in the Bible whose name is Peter. He's impetuous. He's daring. He's wild. And I thank God that Jesus loves people like that. We got a few of them in our church. Peter answered, Jesus says, be of cheer, it's I, it's I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He's like, Jesus, if that's you, then I want you to invite me. The rest of the dudes are like, why? <laughs> We're in a perfectly good boat. <laughs> and it's scary as it is. And that's weird because it's a spirit or it must be Jesus because he's talking to us. And, and Peter's like, well, if he's doing it, I want to do it. So if Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come. And what, what does the Bible say? Jesus says unto him, come. And what does he do? He takes a step out of the boat. There's nothing under me right now, by the way. This is air, so I can't take a step. But he steps, and when he steps out of the boat, all of a sudden that water becomes like concrete. And it's got buoyancy and ability to hold him. And now Peter, the Bible says, is walking on water Man, I feel like preaching here. I'm never going to get done if I don't get to the message. I feel like preaching here this morning. Because listen, if Jesus, Jesus can help you to do the impossible. I, now, 
man, in my, my formative years, my new years of walking with the Lord, literally, my buddies and I, I was a brand new convert. We're standing by the lake and we're like, you know, if we had enough faith, you know, when you're young in the Lord, if we had enough faith, what if we pray right now? You think, you think we could walk on water and you step in there and guess what? I didn't walk on water. You're surprised by that. You're like, pastor, I bet you walked on water. I didn't walk on water. I got wet. Because really, the purpose of the story, I think, is more than us being able to do something that we don't need to do. But I think one of the purposes of the story is that there are situations that we face in our life that are impossible. They are impossible. That, but, but when Jesus comes walking by, there's a God that can do the impossible in our life in the ways that really matter and are relevant to our right now and right here and where we live. We say it all the time, we talk, but, but it's, it's true. There are people in this church that have been delivered from so many things in their life. They tried everything else and nothing else worked, but they found somehow or another if they could hear the words of Jesus, if they could hear the Lord bidding them to come, and there was a secret call upon their heart that called them out of where they were, and they willingly responded to that voice of Jesus, to the words of Jesus, and when they heard the word of Jesus, and they obeyed that word that came to them, all of a sudden they found themselves doing things that up until that point in their life were absolutely impossible that they could not do, could not overcome, could not beat. And all of a sudden in their life, they've risen above the things that everyone else is sinking into. They're rising above because Jesus gave his word and his word can work a miracle. I want to promote this morning. I want you to tell you, this is more than an archaic book. I want you to know today, this word of God is powerful. This word is powerful. The logos, as well as the rhema that comes out of the word. The, the word that comes from the word, the, the relevant word, the present word, the now word, the directive word, the word of what I need to hear in my life right now. I'm so thankful that Jesus comes. It happened to me this week. I woke up one morning needing direction. And the first thing that happened when I got out of bed, doesn't happen every day, doesn't happen every year. But just like that, it resonated in my spirit. A very clear word that gave me direction for the right now. And I'm so thankful that Jesus can give us the word that can sustain us and lift us out of the sinking waters that everybody else would be sinking in. The word of Jesus is so, so powerful. But notice... He said, come, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. So we have him, there's a period where he's walking in the miracle based on the word. And then he begins to sink. He begins to sink. I don't know how many people that I have seen receive miracles in their life. And those miracles, they, maybe they lasted for a while, but all of a sudden a time period goes by and they start, to, they start to sink. They start to sink. What seemed to have worked for them in the beginning is not working for them now. How many people do I see that do receive a miracle in their life? They come to God. God does a miracle in their life. And I just, 
I feel like giving an important warning to, to every new believer that's in the church. I say new believer, let's say less than three years in the church. And you come in in the beginning and the word is powerful and you know the Lord has spoken to you and he's called you out and, and, and you're walking in a seeming miracle and everything's going good. But can I forecast that there will come a time where everything's been going good, but I don't know if it's a moment of newness that wears off or reality sinks in or the trials of life or the devil or something. Something will come your way that'll start to try to discourage you. How many know what I'm talking about? Discourage you, and, and it was going so good, and we're walking in the miracle, and church is exciting every Sunday, and all of a sudden, now eight months have gone by, or a year and a half has gone by, or three and a half years, and it's, it doesn't have the same excitement, and I find myself uh, sinking. That's real life. That's what happens. Here's the apostle of faith. Here's the preacher of Pentecost. He'd been walking on water, but now he starts to sink. Oh, but I got good news this morning. He was afraid and beginning to sink. Are you ready? He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He'd been walking on water. He'd been a miracle, but he started to sink. And as he sinks, started sinking, what did he do? He cried out. He cried out. He cried out to Jesus. He cried out to Jesus. It worked for this long, but Lord, it's not working now. I was in a miracle for this long, but I'm not in a miracle now. It was good for a while, but it's not good right now. But Peter learned the wisdom. What you do is you got to learn how to cry out to Jesus. Lord, save me. Jesus, I need you. You gave me a miracle, but I'm starting to sink. And Jesus, I need you right now. Lord, save me. And immediately, see that? Jesus stretched forth his hand. And caught him. He'd been walking in the miracle, but he started sinking. And he cried out, oh God, I need help. And when he cried out, I need help. Just like that, Jesus came, reached down, picked him up as he was sinking in the water, and began to pick him up. What are you preaching, Pastor? What I'm preaching is, sometimes you need a hand. I thank God for the word. I thank God for the word and we need the word. Come on, River of Life. We need the word. We need the word. But can I tell you, in addition, I didn't say instead of, I said in addition. We need the word, but I tell you what else we need. We also need the hand of God in our lives. We also need the person of Jesus in our lives. There are times that we need none other than him, his presence, his person, the reality of who he is. I've got his word and I walk by faith and not by sight. I've got his word and I thank God for his word. In the majority of my life, I spend walking in the word of God, but there's gonna come a time and a season that in addition to the word, what I need is the presence of God. I need the hand of God to show up. I've got his word, but I need his hand. I've got his miracle, but I need his intervention. I had him then, but I need him now. I need the hand of God to reach down into my situation now, and I need him in a relevant way today in this moment to reach down and to help me because I'm sinking. 
and I need him to lift me up. Praise God. You see, you see the, the two things that are going on here? And sometimes I think we go for one and not the other. Some people are like, I need his hand every, every moment, every second when he said, I've given you my word. But there are times that you rest on the word, that in a moment you've been walking in obedience, but what you really need is the hand of God. The hand of God to reach down and to help us. What are you saying? I'm saying the reality is we're human beings. We're human beings. We're people. We're not, we're not, there's no supermen in the house. If you unbutton your shirt, Jesse Kessler, there's not a red S on the t-shirt underneath. No, I trust me. I believe you. I, I know it's true. So I'm saying it. <laughs> He's getting ready to unbutton his shirt. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no Batman. We don't have any bat caves around here. There's no super people. We're just real people. We're real people. We have struggles. We have challenges of life. We have, read the apostles. They, they, they were not flawless men. They, they walked in shoe leather. They put their pants on one leg at a time. They're real people. And real people have challenges in life. And what I'm saying is real people need a real God. Real people learn they need a real God. Real people learn they need a dependence on God. There, there's, there's no, we all got kryptonite. There's some form of kryptonite that could come into any one of our lives. But what we recognize is I need God in my life. 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 Uh, I know the word. I've had the word. I've walked in the word. I've been with him for a year, a decade, two decades, five decades. I've walked with the Lord. But guess what? Even though I know the word, uh, I've still got to have his hand in my life. Uh, I've still got to reach up to that reaching down hand when I'm sinking. Uh, I may have theological degrees. I may know a lot about a lot. But guess what? I still need his hand in my life. Uh, and I thank God today that the hand of God reaches for us. But watch, he cried out. He cried out. He cried out. He realized that when he had a need, he knew where to go with that need. And he activated something that was within him called the human will. You know, some people sink and they just want to sink in a dignified way. Well, I'm sinking. <laughs> as long as I look good while I'm sinking. <laughs> I'm looking good. I'm cool, cool, calm, cool, and collected. I got it all together. I'm sinking. But as long as I look good while I'm sinking, no, sometimes you got you to put your ugly prayer face on. You know what ugly prayer face is? Don't look in the mirror while you're praying fervently because it's an ugly face. Well, sometimes you got to get an ugly face. Puffy eyes. Tears rolling out of your face. Come on. Desperation in your soul. Not I got it all together. I don't have anything together. No. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. And when you get real with God and you do your part, which is call upon the Lord, when you call upon the Lord, he'll show up. He won't leave you in that condition. He won't leave you to perish. He didn't bring you this far to let you go. He didn't bring you this far to leave you to sink and to die. I don't care what the devil's been telling you. 
I don't care the lies of the enemy. He's been whispering in your ear, saying you're no good, lousy, dirtbag. God don't care about you. Listen, he cared about you enough to bring you this far. And if he brought you this far, he wants to bring you the whole way through. He which hath begun a good work is going to complete it. He's going to finish what he started because he's a good God. But, but, I got to realize my part. Shouldn't be that complicated, but sometimes it is. How you doing? I'm good. How's it going? I'm good. It's all good. It's all good. No, you stinking liar. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not good. And that's fine. I mean, I get it. We're, we're private people, and you don't want to air your dirty laundry to every person that you meet. I understand that. But can I tell you something? That when you get in the presence of God, you're going to have to learn how to get real with God. You're going to, you're, because the, the reason I'm saying that is because God has something for you that will help you. He's got something that will deliver you. He's got something that will encourage you. But you got to do your part, and that's get real in the presence of God and say, Jesus, save me. I need help in this situation right now. And if we could ever learn how to humbly do our part, there's a powerful God that ably always does his part. God will do what he can do. If I'll honestly and humbly do what I can do and just say, Jesus. And sometimes that's ugly, man. <laughs> what are you saying? What are you preaching, pastor? I'm trying to get there. What I'm trying to say is that all of us here, there's nobody that will ever, ever, ever graduate from this point that I'm going to talk about right here. Nobody. I don't care your theological understanding. I don't care how many years you've lived for God. I don't care how long you've been around the things of God. I don't care how new you are. I don't care how special you are. I don't care how gifted you are. Nobody is ever going to move beyond this place right here. And that is that I have an absolute dependence upon Jesus in my life every single day that I live. Every day that I live, I need Jesus. Every day that I live, I need Jesus. I've got to have him. Let me, let me go further than that. I need the active participation of Jesus in my life. I need Jesus participating in my life. I need him working in my life. I need him active in my life. I need him talking to me through his word, through, through preaching, through prayer, through prophetic word. I need, I need him working in me. I, I need his active participation in my life. Every day, every day I need him in my life, every day. Every week I need him in my life. Every month I need him in my life. Every year I need him in my life. I need Jesus in my life every, every day. I need Jesus. I don't think, maybe we don't talk about it enough. We don't ever graduate past this point. Spiritual maturity is, is not graduating to the point of like, I'm self-sufficient now. <laughs> Like, oh, that person, they're so strong in the Lord. I bet they don't need to pray. They're so strong in God, I bet you they never read their Bible because they've read it so many years, they got it down now. Like, they got it. It's all figured out. They got it figured out. Listen, 
You never graduate beyond the point of consistently every day. I need the active participation of Jesus in my life every day of my life until the day that I die. The only way that I'm going to get to heaven is if Jesus takes me to heaven on that very last day by his grace and by his mercy and by his power and my dependence on my need of that God. Because listen, I can't, I can't pull, I can climb a ladder as high. That's what the Tower of Babel did. You can build as much, you, you can climb as high as you want to. You ain't never going to get to heaven on your own. The only way I'm going to get to heaven is if Jesus takes me to heaven. The only way I'm going to get there is if the Lord somehow or another delivers me from this body of death and will put his spirit within me and call me to go home. Only way. And the sooner that I learn to live my life in that posture, the greater the level of victory that I'm going to have in my life. Jesus, help us to receive and understand this scripture, please, Lord. Help us to understand it, Jesus. Jesus' name. My message this morning is God's hand. God's hand in my reach. The subtitle would be where grace and faith meet. God's hand, my reach. Where grace and faith meet. Learning to lean on Jesus. Learning my need of him. Learning how to access in my life God's power, God's inspiration, God's direction, God's word, God's help. Learning how to access that is the whole name of the game. So, Colossians 1.29, let's, let's walk through that a little bit. Where, notice what he said. Whereunto I also labor. Paul said, I'm working at this. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to work at living for God. you got to work at it. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, the greatest soul winner potentially, greatest church planner. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by this tremendous man of God. And we, when I read Corinthians 15, I, I read the words of a desperate man that recognizes I can't do it on my own. By the grace of God, he said, I am what I am. But here he's saying, whereunto I also, he said, I'm working at this thing. I'm working at living for God. you got to work it. God doesn't want a bunch of lazy bum children that sit around saying, oh, praise God for grace. I ain't got... Listen, I, and I'm going to try not to be offensive, but I've heard the stupidest things said in Christianity that absolutely blow my mind. The stupidest things I've ever heard said that blow my mind. I've been to funerals where the dude stands up there and says, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pray. You, you don't, literally, what, what foolish person says you don't have to pray? You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. You don't do anything. Just, just sit there like a slime ball. And as long as you mentally accept the idea that Jesus died, that, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster. Who in the world would counsel people like that? And you wonder why people live immoral lives and say, well, praise God, I'm a Christian. Want a doobie? Let's go. Let's, let's. I got three girlfriends on the side, but praise Jesus. God's good. The Lord hath provided. What kind of stupidness is that? That's stupid. That's dumb. It's just, I mean, I could use theological words, but it's just, let's make it simple. That's stupid. That's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. 
Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, says, I labor. I labor. I work at this thing. I work at it. I'm working at it. I, and this is the word, okay? Whereunto I also labor. Striving. Look at your neighbor and say, striving. Striving. Paul said, I'm striving. I'm striving. That, that word, that Greek word literally means struggling. It's, it's an athletic word. It is used in the Greek contest when, when men would wrestle to, to win the prize. When they, when they would fight to win the prize. When the gladiator got in the ring, he would, he would strive. It's the same Greek word. He said, he said I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm striving. I'm working at this thing. What does that mean? What he's saying is, I mean, here's the apostle, the preacher of grace. Did you get it? I command you to think. <laughs> think, think, think about here's he preached grace, right? He preached grace, but he said, I'm I'm struggling with every I'm I'm like a I'm like a a, a professional wrestler that, that's going for the prize. I, I'm putting everything I got into this. I'm I'm putting my blood, my bone, my sinew, my muscle, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm putting everything I got into this. I'm, I'm working at it. I'm striving. I'm working at it. But watch, the good news is you're not doing it by yourself. Striving according to his working that is working in me mightily. Oh, Jesus, that's the good news. That's the grace of God. Philippians 2.13, it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Look at your neighbor and say, God's working in your life right now. He's working in you. He's working in you. He's One way I know that is you're in church and the word's being preached to you. You know, while the word's being preached, God's working on people right now. He's working. He's putting desires. He's putting thoughts. He's challenging you. He's pressing you. He's, he's pushing you. He's working inside of you. God's working in us. Ideas and thoughts and inspiration and maybe even at times obligation. Necessity. You should do this. Here's the word. Here's the spirit. You should do this. And these things are percolating. But what Paul learned, watch, what Paul learned is I'm striving according to his working that worketh in me mightily. He's like something's happening. God's stirring me. God's moving on me. God's challenging me. He wants to use me for his glory. And I'm putting myself into it and I'm taking my personal will and I'm putting my will into the will of God no wonder he was so mightily used of God because he put his will into the will of God it's both you see what I'm saying it's both it's God's are we saved by grace yes we are you better check your Bible that's exactly what the Bible says. Yes, we are. We are saved by grace through faith. It's both. It's by grace through faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is my part. Am I making sense? So grace is when, when desire comes and conviction comes and and challenge comes and the word comes and, and all that comes to me and God's spirit maybe is, is tapping me on the shoulder and God's presence is, but then all of a sudden I say, okay, <laughs> okay, Jesus. 
That's what you, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to work at it. I just tell you this, if you, well, I'm going to anyway, so if you want a prayer life, you know what? It's going to take work. Prayer life's work. Prayer life's work. Sometimes prayer is just not fun. You say, you're a pastor. You're saying that? Yeah, I am saying that because it's true. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's, you know why? Because my stinking, lousy, no good, bad flesh, my flesh, me, me. Sometimes I don't want, that's not God. That's me. Sometimes I just wake up and I'm a loser. It's true. But I can be a winner. But I got to say, flesh, no, I ain't doing that. No, no, we're going to prayer. Flesh, we're going to prayer. When it's altar time, sometimes you just got to go, okay, we're going to the altar. Can I just say this? I think we need to kneel at the altar more often. I'm not saying every time. I think standing with our hands raised is good. Sometimes, and just, you say, well, I don't feel like doing it. So what? I didn't say you need to feel like doing it. Sometimes I just need to say, okay, these knees, they don't bow to anyone or anything else other than Jesus. These knees, I don't feel like doing this, but, but Lord, I, I, sometimes I do this when I pray, and I just, I just lay on the floor because I, I can't get any lower than that. And, and I'm just telling myself, I'm telling me, me, you need God. You need God in your life. I'm going to lay on the floor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this flesh. Sometimes this flesh doesn't want to. But the good news is my will can overcome the flesh. God gave you a human will. He gave you the, I will bless the Lord at all times. Don't say, I can't praise God. You don't know what I've been through. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. I can have the worst week in the world, but still praise God. And none of y'all know it because I will bless the Lord at all times. Amen. It has nothing to do with anything else other than God's good. As a matter of fact, I just here's a little caveat. Here's a little side, a little side Bible story. The Bible says there was a man that had legions of, of demons inside his body. And when he saw Jesus, he started running to Jesus. He fell down and he worshiped him. Now you tell me one excuse that a person has that they can't worship God. This man had thousands of demons. Don't you tell me the devil made me do that. The de no, not without the, the acquiescence of your will. And he may have been inspiring that. And here's a guy. And it proves to us. It proves to us the power of the human will. That's why I'm so thankful. We sang a song about God can save anybody. You know what? He can. Anybody. I don't care how dark and how bad and how bleak their life has been. Here's a man that had thousands of devils that came running to Jesus running to Jesus, fell down and found his deliverance because God will never leave a human being without the capacity and the ability of the human will to make, if nothing else, one single decision of their life. And that decision is, yes, Jesus. And that's all it takes for thousands of demons to be vacated. One, yes, Jesus. One act of the human will that says, I want you, God. And that is the fundamental, functional, core hope that every single human being, and it's the hope that I preached the word this morning, that anybody can be saved if they'll reach out to Jesus. Anybody. Does that make sense? There are two heresies. And I'll never forget my, my Bible, one of my Bible school teachers, he, he made a statement that I thought is interesting, worth consideration. He said, heresy is truth out of balance. 
Let me give you two points. It's all up to me. Is that true? No. It's all up to me. <laughs> We're in trouble. If it's all up to me, if it's all up to you, guess what? Good luck. Good luck with that. Let me show you the other side of that, though. You know the other side? It's all up to God. Amen. That, now, that sounds spiritual. That's what's dangerous about that. It sounds very spiritual. It's all up to God. Whatever God wants to do, it's all up to God. You comb this Bible. That is not true. He can, but he is divested of himself, capacity and ability in the human beings to reach out to him, the potential power that is available from God to people. It's not all up to God. Some people are sitting around waiting for God to do something that he's asked them to do. Peter cried out, Lord, help me. And what did God do? Jesus showed up. God's hand, my reach. Let me give you some scriptures here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and 12. Watch this. Fight the good fight of faith. How many is looking for a good fight? <laughs> well, you got one on your hands if you're a child of God, whether you're looking for it or not. Fight the good fight of faith. I like this next part. Notice, notice what it says. Lay hold on eternal life. I'm just going to leave the rest of that verse. Lay hold on eternal life. That person next to you say, get a grip. Get a grip. You got to get a grip. He said, lay hold on eternal life. Can I just tell you this? This is the sad reality. Not everybody's going to be saved. It's a terrible reality. I hate to even say it. There are people in this building here. When the rapture happens, they're not going to be here. And it's not because Jesus was unwilling to save them. It's not because his mercy was not abundant. It's not that he was not willing. People mix that up. He's not willing that any he wants. Jesus wants everybody to be saved. So if he wants everybody to be saved, how come everybody isn't saved? It's a choice. It's a, but I'm saying that in a good way because if you want to be saved, Jesus will save you. He'll, he is so good to do his part. If, I, if I'll reach out to God, he'll give me what I need. That's really what I'm trying to get at, and I really feel this morning, is, is the, the encouragement to the body to continue to reach out to the Lord. Because as you continue to reach out to him, he brings grace into your life. He brings strength into your life. He'll reinvigorate you. You may go through seasons of trial, and you may go through times, but you're going to come out the other side of it. You will. You will. If, if you lay hold on eternal life, no matter what happens, I've got a grip on this thing. God's hand has reached down into my life, and whatever happens, if God will help me, I'll never let him go. I'll tell you when I believe that I believe that my relationship with God, it changed. I, was, I got saved when I was 15. I won't go into my whole testimony, but I've shared it a hundred times. But dramatic salvation experience. My whole family, we all came in in a short time period and we went from abject sinners to God brought us into the church and it was, it was beautiful. But I do remember this and, and this may help somebody here this morning. I remember the Lord delivered me from all that lifestyle that I'd been in. But I, I remember being in church the first year 
And I remember thinking to myself, can I really do this forever? I remember thinking it. I remember thinking like, oh, I love Jesus. I love the church. Man, this is, wow, this is so amazing. But, but Paul, can I, can I do this forever? I remember thinking that. Am I, am I going to, can I stick with this thing like my entire life? I remember thinking that. Like, I don't, I just don't know if I could do this forever. I remember the day, though, when, and this is, it was very simple. There was no, you know, no fanfare. But I remember to one, one day I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you'll help me, I made up my mind. I'm going to serve you until the day I die. If you will help me, Jesus, I will live for you until I breathe my last breath. If you will help me. And all I can tell you is when, when I made that statement, I feel like in my spiritual walk with God, everything changed. Didn't make it easier. Didn't, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying everything was like peachy keen at that point. But it's like when the decision was made that I'm going to live for God forever, all of a sudden it was like the special grace of God helped me. And I think it's probably, in retrospect, it was this scripture. Lay hold on eternal life. What I was saying is, I'm, I'm getting a grip on this. And listen, Y'all can backslide. I hope you don't. Don't want you to. Man, I want everybody to be saved. But if you all backslide, I'm going to live for God. My whole family backslides. I love y'all. I'm going to heaven. Everybody, young person, your whole youth group. I was talking to somebody. Oh, what's his name? Um, I was talking to somebody. We had an event down in the cities, and I was speaking to him. And he's telling me about uh, all of his kids. And uh, two of his kids are away. He's got five kids, two away from the Lord. Wonderful apostolic family. And two of his kids are away from God. And then he, we were talking about that. And he said, yeah, I, the youth group I came to God in. And he talked about his church he grew up in. Powerful church, awesome church, wonderful church. He said, we, we got to looking at it. And he said, you know our entire youth group? He said, do you realize it's 50%? 50%. That's terrible. <laughs> That's almost depressing. Not everybody's going to make it. Musicians, would you come? <laughs> but I tell you, everyone that wants to make it is going to make it. You're going to make it. If you got to go alone, I don't know why I'm just walking this route, but I feel like I need to. I feel like I need to encourage somebody. If you walk this route alone, you can make it. If you want to make it and you want to live for God and you lay hold on eternal life and you get a grip on Jesus... Jesus will come through for you. You will make it. If you're going to make it, you got to learn how to hold to God's unchanging hand. I'm going to hold to God's hand. I'm going to hold to him. All right, so let's transition a little bit here. So let's functionally make this work in our lives. I need Jesus. Right? Do we agree? Do we agree we need Jesus? Do we agree now that we have, biblically, we have a part to play in our needing of Jesus? We agree to that? <clears throat> I think the Bible illustrates that pretty clearly. Okay, so if that is true, if Jesus, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the strength that I need. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the source of faith. I need Jesus. Okay? If I need Jesus, now watch. If I need Jesus, then my actions will reflect that need. My actions will reflect that need. If I need Jesus, the, the best way I can know if I really believe that I need Jesus is that I'm going to go to him in prayer 
Because I know I can't live a life without him in my life. So I, I need prayer in my life. I'm going to have a prayer life. If I need Jesus, I mean, many of you are affirming that, that biblical need by being here on a Sunday morning. You got up, got out of bed, and you came to church. You know what that's saying? That's saying, I need Jesus. When you lift your hands and say, I love you, Lord, you've been so good, and all of a sudden you sense like an infusion of strength into your life and there's encouragement that comes. What You're saying, I, I need Jesus. When you, you flip open your Bible and you begin to, when no one else is there, and you begin to read the scripture and take it in, you're saying, I need, I need you, Jesus. It's, it's my way of reaching out. It's my way of reaching out to God. I, I need, I need God. There's a story of the, I don't know if you heard the story about the, <laughs> the Amish woman and her husband in the elevator. Did you hear the story? An Amish girl and her mother were visiting a mall. Of course, you know, they don't have all these new conveniences. And they're amazed. They looked around the mall like everything that they saw was just shiny, amazing. And they're standing there and they look and there's a wall and this wall has shiny silver doors, this wall, and that wall would open up and those doors would open and they would, they would close. And the, the Amish girl asked her mother, what, what is this, Mom? The mother, having never seen an elevator, responded, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I don't, I don't know what it is. While the girl and her mother watched with amazement, an old man in a wheelchair rolled up to the moving walls and pressed the button. The walls open. The man rolled into this small little room that opened up. The walls closed. And the girl and her mother watched the small number above the walls light up sequentially. They continued to watch until the last number was reached. And they watched some more as the numbers began to light up in reverse. The walls opened up again. And a strong, hunky young man stepped out. The mother, not taking the eyes off the young man, said quietly to her daughter, go get your father. <laughs> you know, I know some people have a view of grace that's like that. Step into the elevator, step out, boom. I tell you, it's not like that. It's a microwave view of God and spiritual growth. Now, we're saved in a moment, but we, we're transformed into his image over a lifetime. It's not a one-time event. Not a like, I wish it was like that. You know, we, the apostolic church, we don't have an elevator. We have an altar. Some people think that one trip to the altar is that's all you need. I take one trip to the altar and my life is, I'll tell you, it's trip after trip after trip after trip. It's day after day of prayer. And you know what'll happen? Growth is incremental in your life and health and strength and improvement comes. Amen? That's why you're not once saved and then you're always saved. That's like the idea, you just go in there like, oh, I'm all done, this is finished, okay. Hasta la vista, baby cakes. I'll see you at the rapture. I ain't ever gonna go to church again. I ain't ever gonna, it's, it's the do nothing doctrine. 
Don't do anything. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, duh. I mean, you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save. But you certainly better learn how to cooperate with God or you're not going to be saved. <laughs> oh, duh. Right? Is this too simple? Is this too basic? It's learning how to cooperate. I can't expect a miracle from Jesus to substitute for an active prayer life. I'm going to say that again. I can't expect a miracle from Jesus to substitute for an active prayer life. I can't expect a miracle deliverance. A person should not expect a miracle deliverance that is not willing to remove themselves from the temptation. If you keep going to the same temptation over and over and then keep coming to Jesus for deliverance, at some point he's going to say, I'm not doing that anymore. You need to stop going to that place and stop doing that thing. Stop smoking that stuff. Stop talking like that. Stop hanging with that because you're going to end up doing that. And I'm not going to be the guy that Johnny rescues you every moment because you keep putting yourself in the same ridiculous predicament. I can't expect a miracle deliverance if I won't remove myself from the temptation. It's like, it's like going to God in prayer, asking for uh, a miracle financial blessing. God, I need a miracle financial blessing. You do not expect a miracle financial blessing from God to continue to bail you out from reckless financial spending. I'm just trying to be real here today. Because there's God's part and there's my part. And God's like, hey, I gave you a brain. <laughs> and I want that brain. This is the good news. God gives us a brain. He wants just like I have children. I, my goal with my children was I wanted them to be able to, I, I, don't, I didn't want my kids at 26 years old calling me up and be like, what am I going to do, Dad? What now? How, what, what fruit should I buy? I'm at the grocery store right now. Which, 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 which apple should I buy? Which one's the crispy? And which, no, I want to raise them with intelligence and wisdom so that they grow to a point that they can make good decisions in life. That's how you live. You learn how to make good decisions. Sometimes they'll make bad ones, but they can learn how to make good ones. I'm there, but I want them to grow into full, mature, strong adults. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He gives us the book of Proverbs. He gives us wisdom so that we can grow in the things of God and grow in our intelligence and grow in our abilities and grow strong in the Lord and grow mature. Make sense? It's this delicate dance. You can call it divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's grace and it's works. Divine sovereignty is God's grace. Human responsibility is our faith, which he requires of us. God gives help, and then I act on that faith. Let me give you an example. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen? Does the scripture end there? What does it say? One is grace. One is human activity, faith, and action. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous. Whew, I'm safe. You got to run into it. Faith. But I got to run into it. I got to go after it. I got to get. It's there for the taking. The name of the Lord. How about this one? 
I can do all things. I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ. It's God's grace, it's human action, human activity. God is working in our lives. As a matter of fact, I'll just say it like this. I'm closing. Most of the miracles in the Bible, if you'll notice them, most, the majority of the miracles in the Bible, they hinged on faith-filled action of people. Because believe, listen, believe is a verb. Faith is action. Faith is doing. It's speaking. It's doing. It's action. Noah built an ark day after day. God didn't build the ark for Noah. God didn't do it. He could have. <clears throat> he could have sent a whole team of angels, and I bet Noah would have liked that to happen. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Dad, we doing? We going to church again? Yep, we're doing what God told us to do. Moses smote the waters with a staff. Joshua walked around walls. God, God could have just taken those walls down, but He said, "Joshua, you walk around the walls of Jericho." Well, that's dumb. That's just like some people in your life. Well, that's dumb. You do all that church stuff. Well, that's dumb. No, 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 it's not, because it's what God said. So what God said, and God said on the seventh day, you walk around seven times and you shout. And they shouted, and they did their part, and God did his part. Oh, God's hand, my reach. It's his hand, but I reach up to him. David went out onto that battlefield, and he had a sling in his hand. God took his gifting. The Lord could have taken that big, big old nine-foot slob out on his own. He could just, he could have knocked him out. He said, okay, angels, just flick him on the top of his head. He just, bam, he's gone. But David went out with a sling. But more importantly, he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were were saved. God could have chosen another vehicle. He could have just saved them all without any preaching of the word. But God said, this is what I want you to do. He did his part. God did his part. Well, here's my message. Stand together with me this morning. Thank you for listening. God bless you. There's a black church in, in Kansas City. It had as its slogan, and I like it. Its slogan was, wake up, sing up, preach up, pray up, and pay up. But never give up or let up or back up or shut up until the cause of Christ in this church and in the world is built up. Wake up, sing up, preach up, pray up, pay up, but never give up or let up or back up. New Testament scripture says it like this, stir up the gift that lieth in you. Stir up the gift, stir up the gift, stir it up. Sometimes you gotta stir up that gift. I'm gonna unctionize myself. <laughs> I'm going to get to that altar. I'm going to get a touch of God in my life. David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what? Sometimes you're not, how many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you're not going to have the, the, the club that's around you, always there patting you on the back, building you up. And we hope that's there, but it's not always going to be there. But what David did 
As David, the Bible says, he found himself a place with his God and he encouraged himself in the Lord. I want you to know God will help you, but he also wants you to reach out to him and he wants you to do your part. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, so much.